Just make one uh, correction. You may have, may have uh, noticed it, uh, but I, I just want to make this so that we're not concerned uh, for Caleb uh, when we were talking about the uh, in the prayer list for uh, praying for a young boy who had been injured by a horse. That boy's name was Taylor Wilson. Taylor Wilson. He is Caleb Jackson's friend. We're glad that Caleb is okay. Didn't want you to be concerned that little Caleb was hurt, but it's his friend uh, Taylor Wick, uh, Wilson. I'm sorry I didn't make that uh, clear enough in my in my announcement. So we'll we'll be putting that in the bulletin anyways to make sure we have those names straight. Yes, uh, you know everybody asked me so how was your trip? So I'll take a minute, 30 seconds, just to, to indulge me. The trip was wonderful. What's there not to like about San Diego? 75 degrees, palm trees, blue skies. We had a marvelous time going to see our uh, son graduate from. Uh, Marine boot camp. The telling letter, I knew things had changed. He sent me a letter near the end and, you know, dear dad, everything's great, blah, blah, blah. Hope you're coming down for the graduation. And he signed, your son, and in brackets, who can now beat you up. So now we know where we stand. Of course, I'm still richer than he is, so this is the important thing. <laughs> And of course, it's in the uh, in the uh, announcements there. There's over 400 people. You're all invited to my house tonight for snack food. Probably not everybody will come, but we'll try to accommodate as many as we as many as we can right after services tonight. Well, on to uh, other matters. If you uh, if you were to do a search on the internet, which is what I did. Well, I didn't do it, but Becky did. I asked her to do it for me. You do a search on the internet and you're looking for religious groups, not churches, religious groups in the United States, you're going to get back pages and pages and pages of information about various religious organizations all promoting one thing or another. And I've just picked a couple just to give you an idea. These are not churches now. These are just religious organizations. One called Religious Freedom International. This is a human rights uh, group that acts on behalf of religious minorities around the world. Another group that I found, a group called Refuge. Refuge. You know what Refuge is? It is a retreat place for skeptical Buddhists. So if you're a Buddhist and you're skeptical about Buddhism, they have a place called Refuge where you can go and, you know, kind of get your faith in Buddhism back together again. There's another uh, group, a uh, religious group called the Advent Group, and that is a support group for ex-ministers, guys who are burned out or, you know, ex-priests, whatever, you know, and so they have this Advent Group, that kind of a support group to help ex-ministers get their lives back together again. And then there's another group called Interfaith Working Group. Sounds good, doesn't it? Interfaith Working Group. The Interfaith Working Group is a, uh, a group of churches, religious organizations, and clergymen who advocate gay rights. They promote gay issues within churches and religious organizations. They're called the Interfaith Working Group. Now, a review of the groups uh, will show that they range in size and uh, objectives, some good, others we might find objectionable, and some of them just downright weird but you get all kinds of groups. Now, among these religious groups, you will find a listing for a group called Men of Integrity, or more commonly referred to as Promise Keepers. You've heard about Promise Keepers? 
Now, I could spend a lot of time discussing all kinds of other religious organizations. I mean, a guy could spend his whole life studying all these religious organizations and seeing you know, what they do and so on and so forth. But I've chosen to talk about promise keepers this morning because at this time in our nation, they are the largest and most prominent religious movement in America. Promise keepers. This group has staged numerous men-only rallies in large cities throughout the United States that have drawn thousands of men and have been featured extensively in every form. I mean, they've written about them, TV, radio, everything, done everything about promise keepers. Now, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John tells us not to believe every spirit. He says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. You know, in every generation, there are teachers and ideas and movements that rise up and capture the attention of the world and also capture the attention of the church. John tells us that our task as Christians is not to embrace everything that comes along or not to attack everything that comes along either. We've been good at that. We've been good at attacking. We're not to embrace or attack these things. John tells us we are to examine these things in the light of Scripture. That's what we're to do. They come along, we examine them, we test them in the light of Scripture. For this reason, we're going to take a look at the pros and cons of this latest movement that is influencing America today. First of all, a little background history. Um, before I get to the, you know, the good and the bad type thing. According to its own literature, if you read its own literature, the Promise Keepers began in 1990, and they were uh, begun by two men, a man called Bill McCartney. He was the University of Colorado football coach and his friend Dave Wardell. And uh, they had a good idea. They wanted to encourage men to be better fathers and better husbands and grow closer to God. Now, their original plan was to fill the Colorado University's uh, Folsom Field with 50,000 men who would confess Christ, who would make a commitment to become better fathers and husbands and Christians. That's what they wanted to do. And so they organized a group of 70 men to pray and plan and in 1930, uh, 1993, three years later, this event, under the title Promise Keepers, was born or was realized. Now, since that time, these Promise Keeper conferences have spread to other cities, drawing hundreds of thousands of men who come together to pray, to listen to inspirational messages, and to rededicate themselves to becoming what they call men of integrity. Now, since this time, uh, Bill McCartney, the coach, the football coach, has left coaching football and devoted himself as full-time leader and director of this particular movement. Now, they have a certain philosophy, like every group, and uh, the philosophy of this movement can be summarized in the seven promises which the promise keepers pledge themselves at their meetings. This is what they do. They go over the seven promises, and then they get the men to pledge or to promise to, to keep those promises. Now, I'm not going to read the... I'm just going to kind of hit each one real quick so you can understand what the seven promises are. First of all, they promise to honor Jesus Christ through worship and prayer and obedience to the Word through the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, to pursue relationships with a few other men in order to help them keep their promises. Thirdly, to practice spiritual, moral, ethical, and sexual purity. Fourth, to build strong marriages, families through love, protection, and biblical values. Five, 
to support the mission of the church by honoring and supporting leaders with time and resources. Six, uh, to reach beyond any racial and denominational barriers to demonstrate the power of biblical unity. Seven, to influence the world by obeying the great commandment, which is love, Matthew, Matthew 12, 30, 31, and the great commission, which is to evangelize, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And so all these things that they're talking about are basic biblical principles which provide the reasoning for the movement and guide its direction. Now, the promise keepers uh, charge between $50 and $60 to go to the events, and they sell, uh, they sell out huge stadiums um, all throughout the country. So they have a tremendous impact wherever they go. And uh, their movement has spun off printing and other media resources based on the movement and the writing and the speaking of its participants and its leaders. Now, the event draws men of every color, every religious group, every social background from all over North America. And people, you know, I mean, people are changed for the better because of it. Wives love it. They got this couch potato with the, with the remote glued in his hand, you know, and all of a sudden he goes off to promise keepers meeting and he's coming home, taking out the garbage and, you know, uh, uh, being a better guy, being a better, I mean, what's there not to like? I mean, so I mean, wives love it. And men love it too. And many of them are transformed. And, you know, I'm not going to stand here and say, oh, it's superficial. It's not true. Well, that'd be wrong. That'd be insincere of me to say that. Not true. You know, men's lives are transformed by these meetings. They have a tremendous impact on those who participate. And so it has become in four short years the most talked about and dynamic influence in the religious world uh, during this decade. Now, if you live long enough, I won't point anybody, over in that general area, if you live long enough and preach long enough, you see a lot of things come and go, right, Lewis? see a lot of... A lot of waves come and go. But in our decade, this is definitely the most dynamic thing that has taken place in religion. Now, like any movement that acknowledges and promotes Jesus Christ, there are a lot of positive features about the promise keepers uh, as it is uh, referred to, or, or PK, they call it. Not preacher kid, but promise keepers, PKs, as they're referred to. And I want to mention, I mean, I could, again, do a lot of them, but I've tried to, you know, uh, boil it down to a couple of very obvious things anyways. First of all, they focus attention on Christianity. How can that be bad? You know, they focus attention on Christianity. You know, the media will love any religion except Christianity. You ever notice that? It will, it will show in a, in a tender and positive light any other religion, any other cult, um, except Christianity. They'll be very tolerant of everybody else except us. When it comes to Christianity, the media is not very kind. You know, Christians, ministers, the church, usually portrayed as being narrow-minded, intolerant, misguided, and the worst cut of all, the worst cut of all, irrelevant. Every movie I've ever seen where there's a minister, he is irrelevant. He does weddings, I think, or he's a wimp. There's nothing to say, there's nothing dynamic to say. And so that's pretty much the view of the media about Christianity. The promise keepers, on the other hand, have managed to portray a very positive image of Christianity, something which is dynamic without being manipulative, something which is powerful without being bizarre or weird, something which is good without sounding self-righteous. You know, the promise keepers don't sound self-righteous. 
uh, something which is uh, uh, which brings people together, especially men, without being too touchy or feely, too wimpy looking. And so through promise keepers, believe it or not, in the 90s, it's cool to be a Christian. I mean, it's cool to be a Christian. You know, men are coming together in large numbers for Jesus instead of a sports event. I mean, when was the last time you saw 60,000 men gathered together without a ball of some kind? I mean, seriously. 60,000 guys coming together. No sports. No women. So they have managed to focus a very positive light on Christianity. And that's good. Another good thing is what I said. It is relevant. It's relevant. While much of Christianity has spent its time entertaining itself, building these huge cathedrals and putting on dramas and shows and all kinds of stuff to entertain itself and call it worship, or taking care of its own, the Family Life Center, we got this for our members, we got sports, we got all kinds of activities for our members. You know, taking, I'm not, that's not a bad thing, but boy, in the 90s, we certainly have, have, have taken care of ourselves very well. The promise keepers have tapped into some of the major concerns of our modern society. They've done that. I mean, there's no crabbing here, no whining. They've done. We haven't, they have. They have said out loud what a lot of people have been thinking about all along. And that is, men have done a lousy job of being men for the most part. And they've said that out loud. They've shouted it from the rooftops. And the nation has said, Amen. And men have said, that's right, we've been bad. (laughs) We've not been good. We've not done a great job. Of course, this is true of every generation because men are sinners in every generation. But the PKs have said it loudly enough so that the entire nation could hear it. And they've offered a solution. Jesus Christ. Who can't amen that solution? The promise keepers are talking about the things that modern man is thinking about. Modern man is thinking about how to regain self-esteem, how to become relevant again as a man, and most importantly, how to become a better man. And they have tapped into this idea, and they have said to them, this is how you become a better man. And then thirdly, another good thing that I see about them is they are media-friendly. They are, you know, they're media friendly. You know, the media is lazy. Okay, for the large part, thank you for nodding. I appreciate that from you. (laughs) The media is lazy. The media likes prepackaged, bite-sized stories, postcards as opposed to novels. Media doesn't want novels. It wants a postcard. Just say it to me in 10 seconds, 20 seconds. Well, The Promise Keepers is a media dream. Think about it. I mean, you've got the big event with lots of people and human interest. You have charismatic leaders, let's face it, big-time football coach turned religious leader. You've got excitement, 50,000 men in one place, again, without a football or without women. That's the story. You've got controversy. The feminist groups are picketing the stadium. The political and religious leaders are lining up for it or against it. Uh, And you've got a great show. I mean, you've got the best entertainment, the best speakers, slick advertising and promotion. It's all there. It's a media dream. Now, I'm not saying this is bad. 
Because let's face it, Jesus' ministry had a lot of the same elements. There were crowds, there were miracles, there was controversy, there was charisma. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what Jesus had too. I'm just saying that when all of this comes together in one place, it makes it easy for the media to report the story. And believe me, the media have reported on the PK intensely, which has simply fed the curiosity and interest of the public and led to its phenomenal, phenomenal growth. You know, the church has not learned how to be media friendly. And so we've not been able to take advantage of its power and preach the gospel and identify itself to the public. I mean, if there's one thing that I have done in the last 20 years, you know, like a lonely prophet, you know, in the desert saying, church, you've got to at least buy VCRs. (laughs) Never mind, get on the internet. You know, when you go to most churches, they don't, you know, nobody knows how to work the VCR. We rarely use TV. We do, thankfully, but you go to a lot of churches, they haven't got a clue. Here we have a piece of equipment through which we could, in one day, preach the gospel to the entire world in a moment. And what do we do? We hand out pamphlets. We're in the horse and buggy stage of evangelism. The PKs are in the year 2000. They're smart. They're wise in the ways of the world. You know, the restoration movement has been around for 200 years, but it's not nearly as well known as the PKs have only been here seven years. That's the power of the media right there. Long ago, we could have pooled our money together and we could have really identified ourselves to the public, who we are, what we stand for, where we're going. We don't do it. But that's another lesson. That's not where I'm going. I'm tempted to go there, but I won't go there. That's why I write everything down. It's like a discipline. It keeps me on task here. <laughs> now, they have used the media wisely to promote their religious ideas. And they've shown everybody a lesson on its power and its potential. So there's a couple of very positive things. that you know, And I say this with all respect to those who are organizing, those who participate. Hands down, they just do this so well. Now, lest we're swept away by the power and the presence of the movement, let's take a minute to examine the promise keepers from a biblical context. That's our job. That's what the Bible says, not the Church of Christ idea. That's a biblical concept. The the Bible tells us that we must examine everything from a biblical context. So let's do that. Let's run the PKs through the biblical screen and see what comes out. Okay? Uh, we're, 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 We're not... We're not putting their, uh, their marketing on, 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 on being test. We're not testing their sincerity. That's not our, our job. We're simply testing their ideas in light, of, in light of God's Word. Well, after examining their own literature and teaching, here are a couple of negative and I would say dangerous elements that we need to recognize about the promise keepers as well. Get a balanced picture. First of all, much of their doctrine is unbiblical. Now, yes, they've got one thing straight. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Amen. They they do get that straight. But after that point, after that very important point, uh, much of what they teach begins to go uh, aside from the Scripture. Of course, nobody's perfect. I'm not saying that we know everything and our congregation has the right answer to every single thing. But their doctrinal mistakes 
are fairly easy to spot. I mean, they're they're very glaring. You know, just the, you don't have to be a PhD in in Bible, you know, to see it. It's pretty obvious. Here's a couple, just a couple. The first one is they're teaching on salvation. I mean, they believe. I mean, you'd think such a dynamic movement would have would get it, but they the same old. It's the same tired old sinner's prayer. You know, Jesus, come into my heart. That's all that someone needs to do to be saved. You know, you stand in the stadium. Billy Graham did this, you know, 50 years ago. You raise your hand. You accept Jesus in your heart and you're saved. They believe in the sinner's prayer for salvation. Well, you know, we could, we've done this a lot, so I'm not going to go over this, you know, uh, to great lengths here because I'm preaching to the choir. But you know, I want to tell you something about the sinner's prayer. Just an example of that. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 18, and in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, there's the story of the conversion of Saul, who later became Paul the Apostle. And an interesting thing about Saul is that he prayed for three days. He was knocked off his horse, had a blinding vision, a message from the Lord, then he went for three days and he fasted. It says he was fasting, and as a Jew he was praying to God. And yet, when was he saved? Nowhere does it say he was saved during the three days of fast. Never mind just Jesus come into my heart. During three days of fasting and praying, nothing happened until Ananias showed up and said, Paul, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And Paul did so, and his sins were washed away. And Paul the apostle himself witnessed that that was the way that his sins were washed away. He tells the story of how he became a Christian. And in the story, he repeats that he prayed and he fasted, but only when he obeyed the command to go into the water and be baptized were his sins washed away. Well, another teaching that is incorrect Aside from the, t- I mean, that should be the only one, right? I mean, we, we could just stop right there and say, well, game over, tilt. But there's so many other things, you know, and, and a lot of them are subtle. One of them is they're teaching on the Holy Spirit. They teach that they have been anointed by the Holy Spirit to lead and do this work. In other words, God said to this guy, Bill McCartney, here's what I want you to do. You're going to start an organization. It's going to do this and so on and so forth. Remember, this is from their literature. They're the, I'm just saying what they're saying. I'm not making this stuff up. Well, we need to understand from the Bible that the only anointing or sealing that we receive is at baptism, when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. You look everywhere through the New Testament, you will not find the Holy Spirit anointing someone to do something. Okay? In Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 38, we receive the Holy Spirit. Paul says in Ephesians 1.13 that that's when we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Bible also teaches that each individual receives gifts, yes, to work in the kingdom from the Holy Spirit. There are the miraculous ones which ended uh, with the era of the apostles and there are the non-miraculous gifts that continue today. In Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8, those are the gifts that are described that exist today still. The gift of teaching and preaching and serving and giving and leading and benevolence and so on and so forth. All of those gifts are available to everyone in the church today so they can serve each other and serve the world 
in the name of Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, the church has already received its mission. I mean, in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, the mission of the church to evangelize the world. That's nothing new. We've already received our responsibility, John 13, 35, and that's to love one another. We've already received our goal in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. That's to be faithful until the end. We have our mission. We have our responsibility. We have our goal. The Holy Spirit isn't handing that out to someone else. The church has had that from day one. Now, there are a variety of ways to do this in every generation, but the Holy Spirit has not given any new mission to anybody, especially a group that is in error about fundamental biblical teaching. I mean, you know, okay, where's the Holy Spirit here? Is the Holy Spirit telling you one thing over here to this church and and, and telling another group a different thing? There's no division with God. We need to make up our mind, you know. Which doctrine is the biblical one? Another... uh, Uh, Now, one thing I'd say, I mentioned two. I mean, there are so many other doctrinal points. Really, there are. So many, I mean, the organization, the concept of leadership. They even used the old, remember the old Boston movement? Remember the Boston movement that was in, that swept through the church for a long time? Crossroads, Boston, whatever you want to call it. You know, the idea of prayer partners and things like that. They've even hijacked that idea uh, too that you're responsible to one guy, and that's how they keep the group together. All these things, you know, kind of a hodgepodge of ideas. There's so many other doctrinal points, but I show these two to demonstrate that we need to be careful about groups who say that they are from God and preach Jesus, but they teach things that are easily uh, contrary to God's Word. Now, they may do it in ignorance, but doctrine is still incorrect. Whether you teach, it in, you teach incorrect doctrine sincerely or insincerely make any difference, the doctrine is still incorrect. The Holy Spirit is not behind false teaching. Another thing that I want to mention about them is that they are not the church. They're not the church. They say they are not the church, so I'm not accusing them of that. They say that people should go to a church of their choice. There's another mistake. There is no a church of your choice. There's only one church in the Bible. Only one, one, one Lord, one, one body, one church, okay? But they are sent by God to do His will. That's what they say. They're sent by God to do His will. So they say on one hand, we're sent by God to do His will. But you go to any church of your choice. Well, according to Paul, it's the church that has the responsibility of making known the manifest wisdom of God. Ephesians 3.10. Not a group organized by men. God has not given this role to any other group except the church. Did you know that? Only the church has the responsibility to speak from God. Only the church. Even if the church is in error or is weak or is not as effective in doing its work as it should be, God nevertheless maintains the church as the only manifestation of His presence in the world. The only place where God is, is in the body of Christ. The only place. There's only one body, and there's only one head. And so, God has not replaced or anointed another head or another body, regardless of how much publicity it gets, as a religious group. The church was created by God. It was purchased by His blood. It was established by the preaching of the gospel, um, uh, and, and, and continues to grow and expand as the Lord adds to it each day, those who are being saved, according to His Word. 
No man-made group, regardless of good intent or using the name of Jesus, can claim to be the equal of or the replacement for or the leader of the body of Christ, especially one that gets the fundamental teachings of Christ and his apostles wrong. You always know, you know why it's so important to know the word? You know why it's so important to know the word? Because that's how you can tell what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad, what's, what's accurate and what's inaccurate. Don't go by the slick advertising. Go by the word. Well, one other thing I want to mention about them, don't, I don't want it to be piling on here, you know, three good, three bad. I believe that this group is redundant. It's redundant. If no one ever went to a PK meeting, or if promise keepers never existed, there still could be good men, good leaders, good fathers, good husbands, by simply following the teachings of God's Word. Period. You know, the church has promoted... This church, Choctaw Church, has promoted strong families, faithful spouses, ethical and moral conduct, warm fellowship from day one, and continues to do so. The promise keepers, again, have simply hijacked the message and marketed it much better than we have. But you don't have to be a promise keeper in order to keep your promises. You don't have to pay the 60 bucks and go to the stadium. Even in the 90s, all you really need is to simply be a Christian. Nothing more, nothing less. The message of the restoration was what? We be Christians only. And a Christian man is good enough. Good enough. Doesn't have to join another group. Doesn't have to make extra promises. A Christian man is good enough if he is following God's Word. Well, it's been said, and forgive me, I'm a Canadian, and I only say this because an American quoted it, but it's been said that Americans live from one frenzy to another. From the hula hoop to bell bottoms to the, you know, the Beatles to whatever else. One frenzy to another. And Promise Keepers is simply the latest religious frenzy to come upon us. You know, it's interesting to note that Time Magazine has reported that the attendance at Promise Keeper rallies is starting to slip. And uh, they're, having, they're starting to have a little money problem because they're really extended. And there are cracks in the leadership, little infighting on who's going to be the boss. Even more interesting to note, more telling was this. That on the you know, one month they had Promise Keeper right on their front cover, and it's a big deal to make the cover of Time magazine. It means that this is something important in the national consciousness. So in, in one week or one month, uh, there was the Promise Keepers on the cover in the big story, and the following month's cover. Then a couple of issues went by, and the following month's cover. You know what was on the cover? It was a story about America's fascination with Buddhism and the several movies and new books and everything that are beginning to sweep across America as Buddhism is taking root here in the United States. Brothers and sisters, test the spirits. Test the spirits. Not everyone is from God. Don't look at size. Don't look at intention. Don't look at excitement. 
Rather, judge all things according to God's Word. Because in the end, this is what will judge us. God's Word will judge us. John chapter 12, verse 48. You know, there are a lot of things to commend the work that these people are doing, and not the least of which is promoting the name of Christ. But let's remember a few things that John tells us about testing the spirits in 2 John. In verse 9 he says, Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. John tells us, if the teaching is not Christ's, the people are not of Christ. They may confess his name, they may pledge allegiance, they may want to do the right thing, but if the teaching is not of Christ, they are not of Christ. That's a hard thing. It was hard back then and it's hard today. Secondly, he says in verse 10, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. John says, If the teaching is not of Christ, then we must not associate with such organizations. Oh, that's a hard one. Because some of you have been a promise keeper and liked it. Dig it. Some of you go to other churches. Some of you go to praise meetings and all kinds of things. You do that. I know that. You're still my brother. I love you. But you're not following what the Word says because you can't take the heaviness of this passage. That's why. Grow up already. I mean, I, I can't say it any other way. Grow up. Grow up. Stop being children in the faith and grow up. Thirdly, he says in verse 11, for the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. If you participate, you participate and promote the false teaching and the false teachers. You want to be there in a crowd of 60,000 people when the preacher gets up and says, all right, everybody, raise your hand, accept Jesus into your heart. And you're there too, a Christian who knows better, and you're applauding this? How can you do a thing like that? How can you do that? What if the guy next to you says, you know, I want to become a Christian, what must I do? What are you going to say? Are you going to tell them what Peter tells them in Acts chapter 2? Well, you need to repent of your sins. You need to confess Christ. You need to be immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. You need to be faithful to Christ all your life. Are you going to tell them that? Are you going to get up, step aside, and let him walk down the aisle to the front thinking that he's been saved? Because you will share in their error. Instead, instead, let's learn. Instead of swallowing all of this, let's learn from the positive things we see and hear about this movement and use it to build and help the church to grow. And instead of going to a rally and paying 60 bucks or whatever to hear speakers and hug other men and give your life to God, why not listen to God's invitation to be saved or restored today by coming forward for baptism or prayer? Why not do that instead? I'll cost you nothing. Except your pride. Or why not come regularly to services to sing and pray and learn about God's Word and serve in some way? we got three pages of of stuff in this church about things people can do. Why not do that? Not as much fun as a rally. 
but pleasing to the Lord. Why not hug your brother or sister or some visitor in the pew next to you? They need a hug. They need a hug. And they'll hug you right back week after week after week after week. Why not do that? Why not choose to be a better man for Christ's sake today? According to the Word, which you've already been taught. God bless you, you've already been taught. Why do you always forget? We've been taught this stuff. It's basic. Let's not forget. Let's not be carried away by the excitement and the noise, brothers and sisters. If you need to respond to God, if you need to be a better man, a better woman, we encourage you to come forward this morning as we stand and as we sing our song of invitation. Our song of invitation. Our song of invitation. Our song of invitation. Our song of invitation.